your name we pray, amen. All right, well, again, church, it is so good to be with you guys, and again, I just wanna give a shameless plug for life groups, get plugged in. Uh, again, this is our last weekend, I totally get what Teresa was talking about and saying, make sure you guys get plugged in. And again, I don't know if you have had any type of those moments where, you know, sometimes, and again, Thursday's typically my day off, and I'm going, man, this is so good, I'm getting all the stuff, all the chores done around the house, and all of a sudden, you kind of, you start realizing, oh, hey, uh, you know, I, I have these plans that were in store for the next couple of days, and then you kind of get something hit like that out of left field and kind of going, oh, man, God, you have something different for me that I had planned already out. Well, I wanna kinda quickly share with you guys a little story that happened in between Christmas and New Year's. I was super excited, our family was super excited because for the last few months, uh, we were planning to take our family to go to Disneyland and California Adventure. And again, depending on how you feel about that, I was just super excited. Uh, again, our family hadn't been there in five, six years. Uh, we were bringing our exchange student and so we were gonna show her how expensive America really is <laughs> by going to, to Disneyland. And so, so we, we were we were there right after Christmas, we, we had our Christmas experience, and then on that Monday, we're getting ready to go on this trip, and we're in the van, everything is loaded, I actually set my Spotify, and if you guys know me, I'm just like this, I set my Spotify to the classic Disney songs, right? And so I've got the GPS ready to go, I don't really need a GPS, but I like to turn on a GPS, and I've got it on there, and we get this phone call. And this is where sometimes God's plans are different than ours. You see, this phone call was from one of ours, you know, I, I've, got, I've got the little notification on my phone and it shows that it's one, from one of our uh, previous life group members who moved away uh, and, and they were calling me and they said, hey Chris, how's it going? And I was like, hey good, we're just getting ready to go to Disneyland and she's like, well hey, um, I just wanted to give you a call and I wanted to let you know that, you know, that um, I, I've, had, I've been battling with cancer and the doctors say, that I'm probably not going to live in the next few hours, over the next few hours, or maybe day. And all of a sudden, and I don't know about you, you're probably feeling the exact same way that I just got. You're like, wait, what did I just get hit with this morning? And as I started to talk to her, and she started to just kind of share, and she's like, Chris, I just wanna let you know that we are at peace. I am at peace with whatever God wants for me in my life and my heart just started getting more and more wrenched. And as she started talking, she was like, hey Chris, I just wanted to, we've been talking to the nurses, and, and also I wanted to let you know that the time in your life group was one of the best times in our life, and I just wanted to say thank you. And my heart went from like Disney mode to heartbreaking mode. And then I just began to just pray with her, knowing that probably this was going to be the last time that I was going to speak to her. And as, as my family is in the back, and again, we've got all our Disney gear, and I'm sitting there, and I just start to pray. And as I'm praying, I'm weeping, and as I'm weeping, and I'm thinking, God, as we are going to you right now, my sister in Christ is about to go meet you. And I don't know, and I even prayed, I don't know the day, the time, the hour, but God, you do. And God, if this is not it, I pray that you would completely heal her. And God, I just wanna lift up my sister. And then we said, amen. And I just said, I love you. And then we hung up the phone and I just began to weep. And I felt bad because my family in the back, I think they probably grasped a little bit of what was happening, but they're like, why is dad weeping in the front of our car? And then as I began to just kind of start just going, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? 
we just simply just started listening to worship music. We kind of changed the Spotify playlist for a little bit and surrendered it up to God. Well, about six days later, I received a text from her husband and I'm gonna read it to you because it still just stands out and it resonates to how a person who is following Christ uh, really begins to live in these very difficult moments. He says, hi Chris, we're still in the hospital. Doctors had not expected her to live past this last Tuesday, but here we are. She's very tired and often in pain, but she is still witnessing to nurses from around the globe. On the whiteboard, listing who will pick her up upon departure, it says, Jesus. Nurse after nurse are impressed with her attitude as she approaches death. How she doesn't fear death because she is a Christian, she said, so and then he asks, please keep praying for her. Being a part of your group was one of our favorite times of our life and we will miss you all. And that evening, she began to take her last breaths and went home to be with the Lord. And I want us to talk a little bit about this because you know, you know, those moments in life, like what we get on those phone calls when we hear a family member getting COVID, when we hear of all the things that are going around in this world, there was something that superly stood out to me when I get a call from a Christ follower who is saying, I just wanna let you know that I am at comfort and at peace with what God is doing. And not only that, is willing to call me in those final hours and just say thank you. Because what happens is, is that when we choose to follow Christ, God has a plan. God has something for us and in store for us that is super unplanned, that we, at least within our plans, but yet God is trying to reassure us that as we follow him, that he is going to guide us and lead us where we need to go and where we need to be. The passage that we're reading today comes out of the book of Galatians. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter five. It's Paul who wrote this book and he's writing to the church at Galatia. And what he's doing is he's kind of just kind of reminding them and saying, hey, listen, as you are following me, I wanna remind you that how you live is not by the law, it's not by how it's scripted, but how I lead you as you submit and you surrender to my lives. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk a little bit about that this morning, because for me, I just think it's so important that when we go to God's word, it can bring us comfort and direction and guidance to where he wants us to be at this morning. So out of Galatians chapter five, verses 24 through 26, it says this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And one of the things that we're gonna talk a little bit about is in that first, person, that first part of Galatians chapter five, in verse 24, he first says, those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so what happens is, is that Paul's audience is talking to anyone who is saying, I am a Christ follower, and as a Christ follower, this is what you need to do. And I also wanna encourage you, if you're in here and you're just going, hey, I, I, I know it's the start of the new year and I'm trying to figure out if I wanna follow Christ, so I'm gonna kinda just reference you as just right now, maybe even a pre-Christ follower, because what happens is, is that you're going to see, we're gonna kinda take a little journey and a thread of what God does to Christ followers and how he challenges us to begin to follow him. And so when he's talking about those who belong to Jesus, what does it look like to belong to the family of Jesus? Well, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are in new, the new creation has come, 
and the old is gone, and it says that the new is here. You see, there is something powerful that when somebody submits and surrenders their life to Christ, that they are a new creation. You see, what happens is that, that there's part of us that when we are living an old life, when we are living a life that maybe it was pre-following Christ, we did it the way that we, were, we either saw, we grew up, we lived by things that our parents had said, and then when you simply say, I'm ready to follow Jesus, what we're actually saying is saying, God, I'm willing to follow you and not my own things, not my own desires, not what I want to do for my own life. And as he continues on, there's another reference in Mark chapter two, verses 22. Um, I don't know about you, but I think I love pictures when it describes a, a something in the Bible. I love to picture how it looks and how it actually applies in my life. And in Mark chapter two, verses 22, there's this kind of this way of what newness does. And in Mark two, 22, it says, and no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Let me just kind of break that down to you really quick. So in, in, the, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, what they would do, because they didn't always have availability for water, so they would, they would carry this wine in a sack right next to it made of goat skins. And the goat skins, when it was cured and it dried, they were able to put new wine in there. And so what would happen is they're traveling around, they were able to, they were able to kind of drink and be able to kind of stay hydrated as they're traveling throughout the desert. Well, what would happen is, is that once it was finished, it was done. Because what would happen is if they tried to pour new wine into the old wineskins, it would actually burst. There's a great picture of what God does with Christ followers. You see, what happens is, is that when we choose to submit and surrender our lives to Jesus, it's the same way. You see, there's this old way of life that we used to live but when 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is that we are a new creation, that means he has something new for us to live by. And what happens is if we try to incorporate some of the old stuff into the new things that God has for us, what do you think happens in our lives? It bursts. Our reasoning is saying, well, wait a second, God, I was following you, but oh, but wait, maybe I was following maybe an old saying, maybe I was following my old desires, but what God is saying is saying, listen, I have something new for you, I have a new wineskin and I have new wine. I have something fresh for you that we wanna give to you as you begin to do it. You see, Jesus knew, excuse me for a second, as we continue to follow him, we start learning what that does. What, is, what does that actually look like? I wanna kinda let you guys know that there's this really cool part that as we choose to follow Christ, there are just moments in our lives you know, the Bible, the Bible kind of references that as kind of like kairos moments. There's moments where God is using us to where we actually kind of make a life change. You know, one of the things that I, I've enjoyed um, as being a, a pastor here at the church with over life groups is I also get to oversee our Celebrate Recovery program. And in our Celebrate Recovery program, something that we do on a weekly basis is that we give people an opportunity. So our Celebrate Recovery program talks about helping come alongside people with their hurts, habits, and hangups. I not only oversee it, but I also attend it myself. And one of the things that we do on a weekly basis right now is that we give people an opportunity that as God reveals something to, their, to someone in their life that they need to surrender, what happens is this, is that we invite them to come up and grab a blue chip. And in this blue chip, there's a scripture, there's a passage on there, and it reads this. It says, it comes from 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And it says this, my grace is sufficient 
for you. Let me say that again. My grace is sufficient for you. Why? It's because sometimes there are seasons in our lives that we feel like, hey, I don't know where else to go or what else to do. And what happens is, is that we need to be able to basically be able to go to God. And what, what that verse is specifically talking about is when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, what he was saying to them was saying, listen, there are three times that he was praying that God remove this thorn in his side. Maybe you remember that. And he kept on saying, God, would you please take whatever this is is ailing me, whatever this is causing me to suffer, whatever this is causing me to follow you so that I can continue living for you. And Jesus goes, my grace is sufficient for you because my power, my power is made perfect. And if any of you guys know this passage in what? In weaknesses, in our weakness. You see, God's power comes through our weakness. God's power comes when we recognize that we cannot do it on our own. And so when we invite people to come up and grab that blue chip, what we are saying is, come forward. What is it that God is revealing to you today? And die to it and give it to God. And as they come up to him, and I can't tell you how many times that I've come up and grabbed my blue chip and begin to start working through the steps of what God is doing in there. So it not only says that those, that's what it, belong, what it means to belong to Christ, but then it continues in verse 24 and it says this, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Now I don't know about you, but when I hear the word crucified, what's the very first picture that you see? The very first picture I imagine is Jesus on the cross. And when he died on that cross, what basically he was signifying was there was a point of no return. There was a point where he knew that he was going to die for all of us. He was going to die for the areas that we struggle in. He was gonna die so that we could live. And how does he do that? He says Jesus being crucified on the cross for our sins. Jesus chose to suffer for our lives. Jesus chose to sacrifice his desires so that we could live. There's this really cool passage in Matthew, chapter 26, verse 39. And it's before Jesus was arrested, he went and across, across the temple, there was this garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he brought a couple of his disciples with him and he, he, he was walking them up to this garden and he set the couple of disciples here and he goes, guys, what I need you to do is I need you to pray. That's all Jesus asked. If Jesus came to you and says, I need you to pray, would you pray? How many of you guys would do that? Most of you guys are like, yeah, I would pray. Here's what they did, they fell asleep. But while Jesus was walking just on the other side, he knelt down and he said this prayer, and I appreciate this prayer because when I am confused, when I am lost, when I don't know what is happening in my life, when I get calls like Thursday and going, Chris, guess what, you're getting called up from the bullpen to preach, and you've got 36 hours to prepare it, Actually, it was like 12 hours before I had to submit my notes, and it's a brand new message, and I'm going, God, what do I need to do? This is what Jesus said. This was his prayer before he went up on that cross. He said this, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see, even Jesus knowing what he was about to go to on this cross, he still asked, God, man, would you please take this cup from me? 
You see, I think most of the times when we are faced with something that is difficult, all of us would say, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna have to experience this. Man, my heart hurts as I'm trying to go through this. Even Jesus said, if it's possible, take this cup with me. But there is something that as Christ followers, we need to also know. Because then on the other side, he says, okay, take this from me. But on this side, he also says, but it's not my will, but what? Your will be done. You see, as Christ followers, there is something that we have to submit and surrender to when we have to go, God, this is not part of my plan. I don't know how many of you guys are, are agenda writers, calcul- you know, especially with phones now, you can, write the, you can actually write your entire schedule out, you can kind of get everything all set up, and you have your week set out, right, and you have what you're gonna be doing today, tomorrow, next year, 10-year plan, 20-year plan, retired, married, everything's good, living in Hawaii, and then kind of God does something to your life or maybe to your family's life, and it kind of wrecks that. But as Christ followers, it's not suggested. It was shown by God who came in the flesh to say, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew that there was pain in his future, but he also knew that with that death and crucifixion on that cross, that new life was going to be shown to the world. He knew that people were going to see that not only was he going to die, that he was gonna be placed in a tomb, and that three days later, what? He was coming back. And in order to come back, you had to go somewhere. And Jesus knew that. And so what happens was, is that he gave us a perfect picture of what our Savior is really causing all of us to do as well, that we actually have to come to a moment in our lives where we are saying, I am dying to myself. But it's hard, right? It's hard to do, it's very difficult, and you have to realize that new creations must, deli- must, must, new, de- new creations must develop new practices. Now I wanna give you some insight. So I have a 16-year-old daughter and she had to take a driver's test this past Monday. All right, I don't know about you fathers or mothers, you know, and you're kind of prepping them and you've been driving them and you're kind of trying to get all set with them to get their license. But we have two vehicles and we had one that was kind of, we're trying to work with, but we had two vehicles that we're trying to uh, get her prepared for to drive. And the one that I decided to do the night before was she's going to go ahead and take dad's truck. She's gonna take dad's truck to take her test. Dad's truck, a little extended cab, it's got a six and a half foot bed, and I'm just going, God, if she's gonna be driving this thing, she should be testing in it. And so the night before, I realized we've never practiced parking. You have to realize you have to park at the end of the driver's test, right? And actually, I found out if you hit the curb, you fail. So, with no time to spare, at 9.30 at Sunday evening, the Monday before her test, we go out to the DMV parking lot, and we need to, we have to, we have to practice parking in every single spot that the DMV will end up having her park in. There's four spots on one side, and there's two spots on the other side, and I have to practice it because what happens in trucks, if you're a truck driver, you can give me the nod, like, you're like oh, I know he's going on this. It's easier to back up. 
but she's not gonna back up on this test. Not for the first time. We're actually ta- we're taking her later. And so what happens for the next two and a half hours, going up to midnight, I'm having her practice parking the spot. And it's not, and, and she's now hitting the curb. And now all of a sudden, we're parked angled. And now all of a sudden, we're like, and we're just saying, okay, go back, do it again, circle back around, do it again, circle back around, do it again, circle back around, do it again, circle back around. And then there's this one time she starts backing up and I noticed that she has the perfect backup way to just to correct after one turn in. And I said, stop, 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 what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm backing out so I can go back around. I go, do you realize what you just did? She goes, no. And she's like thinking, did I do something wrong? I go, no, that's the perfect backup angle for you to recorrect and go back in the spot. And then she goes back and she does again. Oh, wow, that was easy. And so for the next hour, she's going back to those six spots and she's parking, correcting, and I tell her, listen, the DMV, no DMV person's going to expect you to nail this thing the first time. Correct as much as you can, but don't hit any cars, don't hit the curb, and don't park in front. And she's practicing every angle, like, okay, if I look this way, I'm not gonna hit the curb. And again, trust me, two and a half hours, dad's tired, she's tired, but I'm like, we have to do it. Day of the test comes. We're in the DMV, dad pulls out the Life 360, and he's like, okay, she's, you know, there comes this moment where we're inside there, and now all of a sudden the, the instructor goes, okay, Dad, this is where I take it from here. And I'm going, okay, Lord, it's not my will, it's yours be done. And I look in the map, and she's driving around, and I see that she's pulling back into the parking lot. I see her pass through the windows. I'm like going, don't show yourself. Don't make her nervous. And she's passing right by. And so I start getting out and I'm walking back the other way because I know she'll have parked already. And as I turn the corner, as I go towards the area where there's parking, she looks at me. And with her paper, she goes, I passed. (laughs) Four points missing. And I was like, and she's all, dad, I parked it the very first time, no corrections. And I'm like, yes, yes practice and I always tell her I go whatever you don't know practice because over time you'll get it there's a principle in there guys as Christ followers you see what happens is is that there are things in our lives that there's only one way to really see our faith work and that's to practice to put it to application So we're gonna talk about three things today that how to apply those things to our lives and what my hope is and what my prayer is that no matter what we are facing in this season of life, whatever calls you're gonna get for yourself or for a friend or a family member, that my heart is that we're gonna see that God works. So are you ready to see how God works this morning? All right. So the very first thing that we need to practice is we need to practice dying to our flesh. Man, that's a hard one. Luke chapter nine, verses 24 through 25 says this. For whoever wants to save their life will do what? Lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit themselves? You see, there's this equation that God has for us in our lives. He goes, for whoever wants to save it has to lose it. You see, there's something very difficult in our lives because I think constantly we are always trying to figure out how to preserve our lives. We're always trying to figure out how to keep our lives and God in right away is saying, how do you keep your life but by losing it? 
You see, in God's economy, there is something that's different when we walk with him because whoever loses their life for not just general terms, but for me, will save it. Because he goes, there's no purpose in gaining everything that's out there if you do not have me in your life. If we gain everything in the world, but not God, eventually we forfeit everything in our lives. We don't always talk about this in our faith in church because it's a very difficult concept of dying. And we're gonna talk a little bit about how we begin to start doing those things. And so Jesus already died for the penalty of our sins. We just have to simply choose to follow him. But how do we begin to follow him? How do we begin to know what he says? Well, one of the things that happens in January, typically in every church, is we challenge everyone to go to God's word. And I just want to encourage you that if you do have a smartphone, you have access to the Bible, and you have every translation available through the YouVersion app, or what I started this way is just kind of the Bible recap, and just start an annual reading of reading God's word. Because what happens is as we go to God's word, what we're actually doing is we're actually beginning to learn his words being written to us. And what we are also seeing is that as we start reading these stories, we're actually reading not stories of, and this person followed Christ and they died no more and they followed everything and everything lived out perfectly and they lived happily ever after. Because that's not in the Bible that I read. What we do read in the Bible is we read saying this person had faith, but they also had loss, but then they also had trust, and then God brought them out. Or you had these stories of saying, hey, they had their doubts, and then they they failed, but then God brought them back, or he continued to show them a path of how to follow him. You see, that is in our Bibles. That's why in our our church, we, we have this phrase in our church, know what perfect people allowed. The reason why that's there, it's to remind us that we are not asking you to live perfectly. What we are asking you is to live your life to a perfect God who says my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I wanna encourage you, dive into his word. As God shows you that you need to die to your flesh, there's a second way we need to practice dying to and this one's a this is a hard one. We need to practice dying to our fear of suffering. We need to practice dying to our fear of suffering. You see the word passion in Galatians chapter 24 actually in the Greek means suffering. Like you've heard the old movie, The Passion of the Christ. It's what he went through. It's not like his passion, like this is what I want you to do. It's like, no, he is about to suffer for what we are about to experience in our lives so that we don't have to experience this. So I I wanna ask you a few questions. You don't have to raise your hand. Actually, I don't even want you to raise your hand, but I want you to kind of do a self-check on suffering. Does God want us to avoid suffering? Interesting question, right? We're gonna read some passages that I'm hoping gonna speak to you this morning. Do we purposely try to avoid suffering? Maybe another question, do we blame God when we are suffering because we think we deserve to live a suffer-free life? So let's read some passages that God's word, when we go to it, reminds us a little bit about suffering. In 1 Peter 4.1, it says this, therefore since, we, therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with what? the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. 
1 Peter 5.10 says, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered what? A little while. See, God's saying that there is a season sometimes of suffering. Will himself do what? Restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Church, why don't you guys say with me, restore. You see, what happens is that there are seasons in our lives where we feel we have been completely wiped away with the season that we've experienced, with the suffering that we've experienced. And God is saying that yes, for a little while, there may be a time when you are suffering, but I'm not going to leave you there. You see, when we submit that suffering to Christ, when we try to not avoid it but walk in it because God's walking through it with us, he's telling us that he's gonna not only restore us, but he's gonna make you strong and firm and steadfast. Why? Because he wants to show you that in your weakness, he is made, we are made, or our weakness, he is made strong. Don't take that last passage on there. In our weakness, he is made strong. You see, there's something powerful when we surrender even our pains and our suffering to God. Another passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 says, for our light and momentary troubles, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You see, there's a hope sometimes in our suffering as well, that God is going to get you, that he's, there's something that far outweighs what you're experiencing right now, so he can show you how to get there. And then this next passage, coming out of John 16, is just super cool, because I love how Jesus, I'm not saying, he did, well, I'm not saying, he, he did not write this passage for COVID season, but I'm telling you, when I read this, I'm like, oh! Oh my goodness, this absolutely applies. John 16, 32 and 33, it says, a time is coming, Jesus is talking to his followers, a time is coming, and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. Oh my gosh, God's talking about COVID. Yeah, God's word included that in there. Gosh, I didn't realize that. But he goes, you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. And I have told you these things so that you, so that, so that in me, you may have what? Let's say it louder. You may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, does this say you might have trouble? Seriously, though, as Christ follows, we have to know that. In this world, he didn't say you might have trouble. He says you will have trouble. But then he encourages us, all of us, to this morning. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the what? The world. No matter what our world is experiencing right now, church, Christ followers, pre-Christ followers, whatever the world is experiencing right now, he is saying to us this morning, take heart, I have overcome the world. But he didn't do it by making us avoid it but being with us through it. That is what God calls his Christ followers to do. If you don't fully die to your flesh, suffering tends to creep back sometimes into our lives. I'm gonna tell you about a movie that's a classic for me. In high school, I used to watch The Princess Bride every Friday before a football game. Now, all of our football players, we would go, we'd all order our medium pizzas, and we'd all be sitting and watching for two hours The Princess Bride. 
I don't know why, but I can quote it left and right and stuff like that, but there's this moment, and, I, and my wife makes fun of me, but I always kind of try to add a little accents to it, but I'm not gonna read the, in the, with the accent version with Chris, but there's this Miracle Max, Billy Crystal, plays this kind of like this witch doctor person, and they're taking this guy, Wesley, to them because he's, they, he, they think he's dead. And Miracle Max goes, and he, he tells him, he goes, he's only mostly dead. Sorry, I had, I had to creep that in there. Then he tells them, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. (laughs) But I think that sometimes in our walks with Christ, we say, yes, I have died to everything that I want. But maybe some of us are mostly alive or slightly dead to those things because maybe those things creep back but what did we learn from one of those passages about wineskin and new wine? It doesn't work. You see, what happens is that we try to bring the, the, the philosophy of the world with versus what God is trying to do in our lives, they don't work. And so what happens is God is saying that we need to practice the art of dying to the fear of suffering, to the fear of suffering or wanting to suffer or being in suffering because in the end, he is telling us, you will suffer, you will but I've overcome that world. I'm also a chaplain. I, for the last couple of years, I've had the honor and blessing to be a chaplain for our Tracy Police Department. And one of the things that I've learned, and I'm gonna just kind of give you just an insight really quick, because I'm not gonna give details because that would break what I, what I do, but one of the things I'm gonna give you is I'm gonna give you an observation. You see, the majority of the time when I am called, it's not, hey, Chris, I wanna do coffee with you. The chaplain is often called because someone has died. And so one of the things that I do when I get the call is as I'm getting my uniform on, I, this, is, this is my exact prayer because the prayer is almost identical every time I'm getting ready to go out. I say, God, I have no idea what I'm about to walk into. God, I don't know what their feelings are. I don't know what's happening. I don't know their history. I don't know what's happening. But God, I pray that you would empty me of my words because I know that my words are not going to bring any comfort to them. So God, guide me. So when I get there, Lord, you will be shown. And so what happens is as I go onto a scene and I'm going into a home, there's that moment, just like I had right before I was coming up to preach and going, God, I have no idea what you're gonna say. And then God has a moment where he just brings peace. And there is a difference, and I'm gonna tell you this. My observation is is that when I walk into a home and there are Christ followers in that home or that person was a Christ follower, there is peace. They're still weeping, they're still mourning, they're missing their loved ones, but God is doing something there that only he can do. And three times I've had this happen over the course of a couple of years that still makes me sit back like I, as I receive my phone call from our life group member and going, God, there's something different about Christ followers. And three times before they would go and they would take the person who has passed away and, or, and, has, and takes them away, that we begin to sing hymns to God. And I don't know about you, but when I sat back and I'm going, God, this is different than the ones that I've gone to with no hope. 
But I remember, and as I'm studying for this passage, it helps remind me that when we are Christ followers, we are submitting and surrendering everything. We are fully dead to ourselves. And God is working with us. And some of those things just seem so surreal, but it's so beautiful at the same time. God brings his community together in times of trouble, in times of suffering. And my encouragement to you this morning, and maybe a shameless life group plug, is are you connected with a group of people so that when life happens, when you're struggling or when you're suffering, do you have a place that you could go to and say, guys, I'm in trouble. Guys, I'm hurting. Guys, there's something going on in my life and I don't know what to do. But you are my people. I wanna encourage you to get plugged in. Get involved into a community group, a life group, because in, in those moments, one day, maybe it's gonna be you reaching out to them and saying, thank you for pouring into my life as, they begin, as you begin to take your last breaths. The last practice we're gonna do is the practice of dying to our desires. Ooh, desires. We all have desires, right? In Ephesians chapter four, and then we're gonna bring it home. Ephesians chapter four, verses 20 through to, 22 through 24 says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, old wineskins, right? Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, new wineskins, new wine, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And here's the thing I want you to make sure that you understand. The righteousness means that you are right with God. Righteousness means that you're, there's not a position of like, I am now righteous. You see, being right with God means that you have surrendered to him and said, God, I accept that when you died on that cross, I needed to die to myself and I surrendered to anything that you have and I'm ready to say, not my will, but yours be done. Romans 13, 14 says, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your flesh. Again, this comparison of saying, God, what is it that you want me to do versus the things that I want to do in my own flesh? And one of the greatest encouragements in John 13, in John 3.30, it says, he must become what? Greater, and I must become what? Less. He must become, let's say, you guys, are, you guys are going, man, Chris, you just knocked me one in the gut. You want me to say something now? He must become greater, and I must become less. If you wanna walk daily with that, you will be reminded of really what God wants you to do, that he must be greater. I must get into his word. I must surrender the things of my flesh. I have to surrender the things of my fear of suffering so that he can be greater and I can be less. One of the last scriptures, we got a couple more, but this, was, this is a really cool picture of why do we baptize? Why do we ask people to say, hey, when you surrender your life to Christ, we want to show people to get baptized. Romans 6, one through six says this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus 
Here's the crazy part. It's not crazy, this is the amazing part. We're baptized into his death. Great picture, right? You're going down underneath the water. He, as he went down into the ground and then was resurrected, he, there's a demonstration of you being baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Not mostly dead, not slightly alive, but completely dead. In order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life for if we have been united with him in death like this, we are certainly also going to be united with him in resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Do you see what God is doing when we choose to die to those things of our life and of our lives and of our flesh? Often when I do weddings and during the vow, we often kind of close off with this phrase, until death do us part. One, I do weddings if you want, no. Um, but today, I believe God's phrase for us is this, until death do us live. You see, God wants us to truly live, but we have to choose to really die because he has so much in store for us. We have to start realizing that we need to start living for what he has called us to live for. And as we wrap up, and we kind of re-wrap up Galatians 5, 24 through 26, there's a reason why. You see, previous to this, I'm gonna read the passage again. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live, here's the key part, we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. You see, what God is saying right before this passage was called the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit were only developed as someone chose to go ahead and live their life, surrendered to Christ, and the only way that you can get these fruits is not by a law or something to follow, but by simply God putting you in places, walking in step with the Spirit, and as you were living out your life, living out your surrendered life, what he was actually doing was he was giving you opportunities to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Guys, when we are following Christ, when we've completely surrendered those things, those things come out naturally. It's not, I don't know if you've done this before, and I've totally done this. I'm gonna be a little bit more loving today. I need to be a little bit more gentle today, and these are the three steps that I'm going to do to be more gentle today. And God's simply saying, die to me. Die to your flesh. Die to your desires. And what I'm going to show you is I'm gonna show you that out of those things, I have a perfect plan for you. I am still, I don't even know the word. I'm still amazed by that phone call that I got on our way to Disneyland. But what I do know is that when someone lives a surrendered life, and according to Philippians 1.21, and it says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. That I do know that my life will make a difference one day, that my life does make a difference today 
And I have to understand that while I'm living, is living a surrendered death to him in whatever he wants. And then one day, hopefully later grandchildren, great-grandchildren, but whenever that day is, to live as Christ, to die is what? Gain. That I shouldn't be fearful of what God has in store for me either. Because through that, he has a plan as well. And he has a plan for you to walk in that. So who's ready to live and die for him? Who's ready to die so that you can live for him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,